Welcome to the City Hill podcast. We really hope you enjoy today's message. And if you'd like to find out more about City Hill, please visit our website, cityhill.london. Yeah, so today we're wrapping up our series, um, God of the Universe. We kind of decided to do that because it's Christmas. It's that time of the year where people kind of want to engage with and explore kind of Christian spirituality and stuff like that. So we kind of look back at all the series that we've done and it turns out the ones that are most listened to, most popular online, are all about science. I couldn't believe it. They even have higher plays than the stuff when we talked about sex. I never thought that science was sexier than sex, but apparently science is sexier than sex. So thank God for that, because otherwise we've been talking about sex for Christmas, which would have been so difficult considering that Mary's um, the Virgin Mary. So it would have been, Orcs, how are we talking about this? We're talking about what she's not doing in this story. Um, it wouldn't really work. So today we're kind of wrapping up this series that we've been doing, God of the Universe. We've been having some fun with that. And so when we look at the Nativity story, today what I'm going to try and do is something that you shouldn't really try and do when you're trying to put forward a case for something. And that is, I'm going to leave absolutely everything open-ended. I'm going to give you no answers. I'm going to be like Sway interviewing Kanye West. Um, Because I don't have all the answers, Sway. So I'm going to be a bit like a Sway today. So I'm going to be throwing up some stuff. I'm going to be thinking about some things. So when we talk about the universe, when we talk about the place in which we exist, People talk about a lot of things like there's a lot of absolutes, but actually there's not many absolutes when we look at um, science. And we kind of see in this particular angle we're going to take on the nativity, we're going to look at some guys called the Magi. Now the Magi fall into multiple different categories that people talk about. They either talk about sorcerers, or they talk about um, princes, rulers, wise men. Some of these kind of names get thrown about. And we get this really definitive information in Matthew's gospel about them, which is they're from the east. You know, that really precise location that you can find on Google Maps. I'm looking for the east. East of what? (laughs) You know, east. East of, yeah, straight out of east. So we don't know too much about these guys. It's not really that helpful. But the things that we do know about them is that they observe the times. They observe the universe, the environment around them. They observe the omens. And I feel so often one of the biggest flaws we make in life is we're not really alive to the environment that is around us. And sometimes we just head through life on autopilot. So these guys have two ways of navigating. And one of them is looking, I guess, outerworldly from their age when you think about space and the universe. And the other way they kind of look at things is they look at things through autopilot, which is what you and I do what you know from your environment to be true that you just accept without thinking and flow with. And we're gonna see how these two things lead them to two different scenarios in their lives. One amazing, blessing, blessed, cool. One huge catastrophe. (coughs) So we're gonna be looking down at Matthew chapter two. I just wanna plug the app again because if you read from the app, you'll read from the same translation as me which is dope, because if you're reading from the King James, I mean, you're going to be like, what the heck is this guy talking about? It won't really make much sense. So Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. 
They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, And you are Bethlehem in the land of Judea, by no means least among the rulers of Judah. From you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star happened to appear. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose before until them came to rest over a place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return, they departed to their own country by another way. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother to flee to Egypt. Remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, out of Egypt I call my son. Straight out of Egypt. Um, And then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and all in that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. When he was, then this was fulfilled by the, um, the, the word spoken by the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled, a voice was heard weeping and loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother, go to the land of Israel, for those who sought the child's life are dead. And he rose, took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard uh, that Achilles was reigning over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee, and he went and lived in a city called Nazareth so that what was spoken by the prophet might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. He would be called a Nazarene. So where is he who will be born king of the Jews? So they're looking for this, this king. They've seen this star. So they've been observing that, which is kind of what I would say, outerworldly, the universe, their environment. They've noticed this disturbance in the force, if you want to go with Star Warsy. And they've gone looking for this guy. But the first thing they do is they go into autopilot. So they do exactly what they've always known and what everyone knows. Because if a prince is going to be born, if a king's going to be born, where's he going to be born? He's going to be born in a palace. So they've seen the star, but then instead of pursuing the star, they've done their own thing and gone with, well, he's obviously going to be in the palace. So they go to the palace, the king, perplexed. Well, I thought I was the main man around here. Jeez. Let me try and, and use these guys. He tries to ascertain information and he sends them because he wants to go and he wants to kill because he wants to keep the throne and he wants his descendants to be on the throne. He's not interested in Israel. He's not interested in what's good for them. He's not interested in what God has for them. He's not interested in someone bringing social innovation and change to the community, which is how they perceived and would have seen the Messiah because within their legal system and the way that their nation was set up through the temple, through the priests, through the scribes, through the Pharisees, you had these social innovators that would change the community and try and make it for the better. Didn't always happen, but that's what they were about. And so this guy was really about maintaining the status quo and keeping power and keeping hold of things. And so these guys have gone into autopilot going, let's find him at the palace. And when they get to the palace, he's not there. 
But this decision of going into autopilot instead of pursuing that which the signs around them, the omens, the times, the environment was saying, they go for this palace. Now that has catastrophic consequences and the writers list it here because it's so, so key because the writers want to tell you something pretty big and what the writers of this gospel are saying is he goes to the palace and because he goes to the palace genocide takes place within a region children under two are all killed and massacred and the writer is flagging up one huge like if you were Jewish from a Jewish um, history and background and culture your whole life every year you would have celebrated one story and that story was Passover Every single year, the biggest moment in your year was to celebrate Passover. Remember you were slaves in Egypt. Remember God delivered you from Egypt and reminding you how you should see the world, how you should see others, how you should love, how you should be missional, how you should see the world around you. And so for them, as soon as this part of the story comes, when they read this gospel, when they hear it said to them, they're like, wow, we've been here before. We've seen this before. We've seen Pharaoh massacre a whole generation of children in Egypt, killed them all. And Moses survived by God's hand and was used to deliver them from slavery. And so when they see this one passage of this gospel, flagging this story where the Magi got it wrong, but how God uses even their failure to bring about freedom, to bring about the experience of resurrection, not just for Jesus, but for all people, I believe. There is this amazing, miraculous moment. And so when we look at this passage and we see this horrific, horrific story, the writers want us to know it, not because it's, it's in, I guess, a part of the nativity, but to say even before Jesus is a man, this is who he is. The, the Old Testament writers said there would be one who would come like Moses. And straight away, the flag is up saying, red flag, this is Moses this is Moses again, this is, this is deliverance, this is Passover, this is what this is all about. So they inquire of the times. And so Herod gets the, also wants to inquire, he gets the scribes, the chief priests together, he wants to find out these things. And it's in Bethlehem of Judea, fulfilling what the prophets of old spoke about. He wanted to know when the star had appeared because he wanted to ascertain the age group of kids he was going to massacre. Already he's on the lines of what he's going to have to do to safeguard himself, to keep power. And that's the scary thing about our world, you see, and the world we live in is actually no different. We can look at this and go, what a barbaric part of the story, what an evil guy, and he is an evil guy. But actually our society has not changed one single bit. And often when people talk about the Bible, they talk about the raw and the real, and they get disgusted by it, but actually it's still a mirror of society today. There are eight people that could fit in one golf buggy that have the same amount of wealth as the poorest 50% of the planet. Eight people in a golf buggy have the same amount as wealth as the poorest 50%. Billions of people on this earth, and those eight people have the same wealth as billions. Those eight people will sleep in amazing houses, may have done well with their life, fantastic, good on them. But they can sleep resting knowing that every resource they have could stop tens of thousands of people pulling themselves to death of starvation today alone. They could solve those problems like that with a click of their fingers or a click on their, on their account. They could solve these problems. Nelson Mandela said, poverty is, is made by the actions of men and can be solved by the actions of men. And so we, we may look at this story of an in, intentional killing, 
but actually we intentionally ignore, we're intentionally doing the same thing. Bill Clinton's biggest regret of his entire life isn't Monica Lewinsky, is that he didn't act in Rwanda when the genocide took place. Because the genocide in Rwanda was very easy to plug. It was one bit of propaganda that had screwed up a nation and caused hate. It's not like Congo, where no one can solve Congo. Every African army's in Congo, that's the problem. Everyone's involved in the problem. You can't just fix it. He could have fixed it. People in power today are exactly the same. We need to be people that are alive to the universe around us, alive to our environment. We need to be people like these wise men who ditch everything in pursuit of what is real to them. They're living by their conscience, they're living by their intuition. So often we deny our conscience, we deny our intuition just to push ahead for selfish gains. These guys take the time out to celebrate someone else, something else that is bigger than they ever imagined. And then they're alive also to generosity. One of the things I love about these guys is they come and they bring gold, frankincense, and myrrh. People have talked about those gifts and the significance of those gifts and the fact of um, kingship and the fact of his burial already being celebrated. Also, they're alive to their dreams. That Even after things have gone wrong, they're sensitive to the information that they should go a different way, that they shouldn't stick with the status quo, that they should be willing to not submit to authority when it's the right thing to not submit to authority. That there are times when just going with, oh, he's the king, let me do what the king says, is not okay. And there are times in our workplaces, in our lives, in our spheres of influence, in our friendship groups, in our peer groups, that just doing the done thing doesn't cut it. Being a part of that which is wrong doesn't cut it. We've got to be alive to our dreams, alive to our conscience and our intuition. And sometimes that means ignoring the powerful and the influential. It doesn't matter if this is going to get me a foot up in life. This isn't the right thing to do. I'm not involved. Hashtag not involved. And so these guys, reading the signs is a high stakes game. Reading the signs of the universe was a high stakes game. They could have gone all out of their way to go and find a king for nothing with a load of gifts. Because it's not just one bit of gold. There's a significant amount of gold. There's a significant amount of frankincense and myrrh. They're going out of their way with a lot of stuff to give. To go there and there'd be nothing. Can you imagine how that would have been? Oh, there's a star. Let's just trek all the way to the west from the east. You know what I mean? And there's, there's nothing there. There's high stakes risk. There's also high stakes risk in just going with what they've always known. When they're in autopilot, a whole generation of children lose their lives. But actually, I honestly believe it does matter to live a life where you're trying at least to hear from God, trying to be alive to the signs around you, trying to be alive to what's going on because it's a high stakes game. And if I'm gonna make mistakes, I wanna make mistakes, at least attempting to pursue what's right, not just be an autopilot. So often I think in autopilot, we, meet, we miss huge, amazing moments around us every day. Moses saw a burning bush, something he'd seen hundreds of times before. He was a shepherd in arid heat. He'd seen burning bushes. This one was slightly different, he turned aside. If he doesn't turn aside, a whole nation, a whole ethnicity stays in slavery. Burning bushes around us all the time. I'm not saying you and I are gonna liberate an entire ethnicity or an entire people group. What I'm saying is there may be one person that you can bump into one week that you bring liberation to, you bring encouragement to, that you provide food for that had no hope. You know what, I'm really excited to share this because a couple of weeks ago, I got a message from a pastor friend of mine saying, we've got all these food hampers we're doing and would you like 23? I was like, I can't give out 23. What am I gonna do? Walk around clapping going, hey, 
are, are you in need this Christmas? Are you in need? What are you trying to say, fam? What are you trying to say? You know what I mean? That could go wrong in so many different ways. So I'm just like, I can't just walk up to random people just going like, yeah, oh, mate, do you want to... Mm, yeah, how, that's how you get the one bang in like five minutes flat. Even if the person did want it, they'd still knock you out. You know what I mean? So I'm like, I, I don't know about that. And so then I started putting feelers out, trying to find out things. You know what's really cool? One of those hampers, me and Jodie were like, we know a person that we need to give this to. And in their life, like their mum and dad are dead and they haven't got a job going on at the moment and they're just really running it down in life. And giving them this hamper yesterday, I mean, this box was tonk. And it wasn't full of like Aldi kind of food. It was like organic Chelsea Kensington kind of food. You know what I mean? I was looking at it going, oh, I wouldn't mind a hamper. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's like, it was amazing. And giving it to this friend yesterday, they were almost like so emotionally overwhelmed. They, they were like, I had to rush because I had to get somewhere else because I was late. But they were practically crying, practically crying. Bringing liberation to someone, it doesn't actually take that much. It's just being alive to what's around you. I wasn't really gonna be on the hamper bandwagon. I had a few opportunities before, but then when I got this call, I was just like, oh, there's something in this. And I know that other hampers went out and, and stuff, and other people were just so, so, so grateful and so blessed by that. We've gotta be awake and alive to these things. But the strange thing is with the, the, the wise men is as wise as they are, what they're doing is so, so strange and so, so peculiar. And I think so often we live in an age where we talk about science all the time for everything. Science is like the measuring stick of what is sensible, what is good and what is right in the world. But it's not true. Science cannot prove human consciousness. The one thing 100% of us all embrace as being 100% true, your conscious mind. You can't prove it, it can't be observed. So therefore we're gonna throw that away. No, we're not. Pain, pain cannot scientifically be proven. We've all stubbed our toe on the bed, we know it's real. But like when, when you're in hospital and they go, is it between one and 10? Everyone's making up numbers. No one really knows how much pain anyone is experiencing. It's like a seven for you could be like a nine for me. A seven for you could be a two for me. You might not be that tough on it. I might not be that tough. You know what I mean? Pain's mental. Like they understand how like it happens, how the feelings, but why we feel pain? Because something's burning, because it's, it's just not, not something you can, you, you can really prove. Love. The one fundamental thing every single human being, being craves. There's no formula for that either. Some things can't be measured by science. And even when science does measure things, just like everyone else, they're the same as everyone. They're sway, they ain't got all the answers. One minute the universe when I was a kid was eternal, it had always been there. The next minute the universe came from a point of infinite density, a point of infinite density, something no one has ever observed ever before but all of a sudden it's okay to say there was this point of instant density that exploded and blew outwards. And then it's the universe is expanding rapidly. And then it's like, oh no, it's stopped. And then it's like, no, it's gonna fall back in on itself. Well, well, which one is it? This kind of matters. The universe is random, it's everywhere. Then they found out the universe is flat. But then they went, oh no, it's flat. They were shocked because that kind of shows like intelligent kind of design, but then they went, but of course it's random. So it could be flat because anything could be flat because or anything could be anything because it's random. All these answers, they, they, they found um, particles that you can observe, and when you observe it, it alters it, not in the present, but in its past. That makes no sense whatsoever. No sense, no, no sense. The atoms are 99% empty space. That if you took like St. Paul's Cathedral, took out all the empty space in the atoms, you'd end up with something about the size of my fist. But do you know what the weight of all, the, if you, well, not necessarily St. Paul's Cathedral, but if you took atoms, enough to make the size of my fist by removing all the empty space in it, it would weigh 10 times the weight of the entire human race put together. That's mental, absolutely mental. Like, 
the more you look at science and the more you get through it, the more it doesn't make sense anymore. They talk about dark matter and dark energy being that which is needed to hold the universe in its place and everything with its gravity because gravity attracts, but they realize that actually for the universe to be expanding outwards in the way that it works, there has to be a sense where it repels also. They've kind of talked about this being dark matter. No one knows what dark matter is. Dark energy, no one has a clue what it is. But people will talk about these things to explain things so they get an idea, they put it there, then they go, what's the foundation for the idea? We don't know. So they make up a lot of stuff to fit there. And then when they get there, they go, well, what's the next thing? And then they go, well, you know what? The universe doesn't have enough dark matter for this to work, so there must be a multiverse with all these other universes in that are like bubbles that touch each other. But what would happen if these other bubbles hit each other? They'd blow up a universe. It's mental, absolutely mental. When we look at this, the reason I say all that isn't to ridicule science. I love science. I think it's brilliant. I think it's amazing. It's a quest for truth. But the idea that they own truth is absurd. The idea that anyone does is absurd. The idea that I could claim that I do is absurd. It's the exploration of it. What I love about these wise men in this story is they set about looking for a king in a palace and they find a king in abject poverty, living in the same way a shepherd would, in one room with animals kept in it. The shepherds would have been afraid when the angel said, come and see this new king, the Messiah. They'd have been like, no thanks. And then they were like, he's in a manger. Oh, I'm in. He's born the same way I am. He's like one of us. He's one of my peoples. Okay, I'll go. And so then they all go there. They converge around this baby. What I love about Jesus and this nativity story is it brings people together of different classes, different races, different backgrounds from all over the spectrum to celebrate this one point in time. And I'm going to end with this. The reason it celebrates that one moment above all other moments is because of what that flag is in the story with the nativity, with the wise men. The flag is Egypt. And the flag is a reminder of slavery and the freedom that came. And Jesus with his disciples, he broke bread. And as he broke the bread, he said, this is my body broken for you and for many with the disciples. They were like, what? This meal is about Passover. Jesus, you're, this is heresy. This is a lie. This isn't true. We're good Jewish boys. This is about Egypt. He said, no, it's about me, my body broken. Then he took the wine and he poured the wine. He said, this is my blood of the covenant. This is my blood of the promise. It's poured out for you and for many. They'd have been like, Jesus, steady. This is about the blood of the Passover lamb, paid on the doorpost, the people leaving slavery afterwards. That's what this is about. And then he says, do this in remembrance of me. They'd have been like, steady. We've been doing this for thousands of years, every year, the same time, remembering Egypt. You say, remember you. Because what Jesus did and what this story was and why that flag is in there about the kids being killed and about going to Egypt it's because Jesus is the Passover lamb. John the Baptist said the Passover lamb takes, behold this lamb of God takes away the sins of the world. Jesus comes and dies in our place and his blood is like the blood on the doorpost and lintels that covers our lives. And that's the Christian tradition. That's the Christian nativity story. That's the, the whole story when you hold it in with Easter and the reason why this red flag is there. And so these wise men were looking for this king in this palace somewhere, maintaining the typical world order of amassing more and more riches for himself and instead he finds a baby in a stable that's ready to die and pour out his blood that we might be rich instead. The complete reversal. Caesar in Rome used to have the people say, Caesar is Lord. Christian cults started to go around saying, Jesus is Lord. Hear about a Lord who doesn't take from his people, but gives his life down for them that they may have life instead. Caesar was God who took from you. This Jesus lays down his life that you may have life. And when we come together at Christmas, that's the story we're talking about. And that is who I believe is the God of the universe. He is the God of the universe. He is not the I was, he is the I am. 
I'm going to pray for us today, and that's going to be it for, for our Christmas service. Father, I thank you for these wise men who left everything they knew, their riches, their power, their position, to go and celebrate a new king and a new ruler, not realizing that they were going to meet a new kind of king and a new kind of ruler. Father, would we pursue being like Jesus, someone who doesn't seek to amass power for ourselves, but seeks to see transformation in the world around us. Father, you know all of us, the different walks of life we're in, the different families, the different friendship circles, the different areas of work, the different communities we live in. May you empower each one of us to bring about the same kind of liberation that you set out to bring, Lord. And this Christmas, may we have a wonderful celebration with our families, remembering the generosity that you wish to lavishly give and unleash upon our lives. And may we be people who also unleash generosity. In Jesus' name, amen. hope you enjoyed today's message and if you'd like to find out more about City Hill please visit our website cityhill.london